This morning, as we turn to the Word of God, I want to invite you to stand with me. It is our custom, as we hear God's Word read, that we stand together out of respect for what God has left us in the Scriptures as His revelation to us. This is from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. It will be the first through the 18th verse. And I invite you now to hear the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. In him was life, and that, wa- that life was the light of all mankind. The, dark- the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him, or did not receive him, excuse me. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness... We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I'm an educated man, but I I probably cannot speak intelligently to two things that I love. One is Bluebell ice cream. Uh, Bluebell ice cream has got to be the best ice cream on the market. If you want to argue with me later about that, that's okay. But it's it's one of those things that I look forward to every year. Peppermint ice cream by by Bluebell ice cream. Bluebell is is just a, a wonderful ice cream. But you know there is nothing like Christmas for me. Not only without Bluebell ice cream, but you have to have a Coca Cola. And you do. You, you Coca Cola is like the Christmas drink of everything. You see it everywhere. We were watching TV last uh, last night, and and there was an old commercial. They're still running for Coca Cola. Uh, that that uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other favorite commercials I have, but I won't go through all that. Just to say this. When I researched about Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola used to be made not in one place and distributed, but it used to be be manufactured or mixed together in each town wherever it was sold. 
In fact, in Darlington, South Carolina, Darlington, South Carolina, there was a bottling company called the Coca-Cola Bottling Company, and they used to stamp on the bottom of the bottles where those bottles originated from, and I've got one. It's a Coca-Cola bottle with Darlington, South Carolina on the bottom. I, I was amazed. What I didn't know was the reason they did that was because there were a lot of people who came and made Coke and said, this is the real Coke you're looking for. And Coca-Cola went through a huge marketing crisis because all of these knockoffs, these people who were making knockoff sodas and calling them Coke were saying, this is Coke. And people would taste it and go, that is not Coke. Because they knew what Coke was. It was the real thing. That was the answer to the problem. The Coca-Cola company immediately marketed as the real thing. The real thing. Isn't that great? You know, we know that instinctively, don't we? We know when something isn't the real thing. Uh, I was talking with a lady who had bought a purse up in New York City, right off the street of New York City. She said it was a, a expensive bag that she was able to get for pennies on the dollar. She was so excited. And she told me she was just overwhelmed by the fact that she, she didn't even pay $200 for this $1,000 merchandise. A couple of weeks later, I was talking with her about the bag, and she said, well, it wasn't what I thought. I said, what do you mean? She said, there was a little string that was kind of sticking out, and I pulled it, and the whole bag came apart. I said, so it wasn't the real thing? She said, no, it wasn't the real thing. It looked like it, but it wasn't. This morning as we turn to the scriptures and we, uh, we begin to look at the passage once again, I, I need to apologize to you for something you probably have not noticed. Uh, I got a little mixed up with Logan about the schedule of these sermons. Uh, you have in your bulletin that I'm preaching on the dwelling, uh, uh, dwelling among us. That was last week's sermon. So if, if you missed it, you can always go back and hear it. But this morning I want to talk with you about the true light. The true light. What does John mean when he says that he, the word was the true light? Well, more than anything else, we have to remember that in the days that John wrote this gospel, there were three things happening to the people who lived in those days that was a crisis in their culture. The first was they were going through sp severe spiritual confusion. Everyone had this sense that there was a creator, there was a God who created the world. They had this idea that this God must be something bigger than they can imagine. They had worshipped this God through various means. Some had made idols like Zeus and Apollos. But those idols they prayed to weren't answering their prayers. They weren't impacting their lives. In fact, those gods they worshipped were enslaving them to a life that was horrid because they, the gods they worship could capriciously destroy them for no reason. And so as they, they began to turn away from that idolatry of worship in those days, they began to say, where is the true God and how do we live and what is our purpose for life? And so there was a great spiritual confusion that entered into the world. The, the, the conquest of Rome only amplified that problem because then 
Rome came in and said, well, that's easy. You just worship Caesar. Worship one man. Do you know that's the problem I'm thinking we're facing in the United States today? The problems are so great, we're so divided as a people that it's becoming rife for the idea that we elect one person to take care of all of our problems and we're going to see a dictatorship to come over our country. Why? Because people want our problems solved. But there is no one man we can look to to solve these problems, y'all. The spiritual confusion we are living in in our day is because, as John says, we are living in darkness. The second thing that was going on was moral deterioration. And you think it's bad today. No. No, it was worse in those days. But it might get worse where we are. In fact, if you've heard this past week about the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church beginning to compromise on the idea of what marriage is and is not. You know, the Bible clearly teaches this. It's not my idea. It's not even the Pope's idea. But there is this great tendency to want to love people in such a way that we not just tolerate their darkness, we elevate it and call it light. That's moral confusion. That's, that's where really darkness lives, is where you call evil good and good evil. Well, it was the day that John lived in. It was like that. And then the, the last part of that that was part of the culture he wrote this gospel to was people hungered for decency and for justice. And you're hearing now in our culture there are two, two 